welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on current midget coach for the North Jersey Avalanche, Vinny Smith. Vinny grew up not necessarily in a hockey background, but fell in love with the sport in Brooklyn, New York, and has worked his way up to become one of the top midget coaches in the game. Uh, Very well respected, a lot of great connections in the college game, so some great insight from him. But before we do get over to Vinny, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on today? Tell you what, Toski, I uh, pretty heated. I'm not gonna lie. Pretty heated. What's going pretty on? Heated. Pretty, pretty heated. Pretty, pretty heated. Pretty, pretty, pretty heated. Um, just had a session last night in the gym with with one of my uh, AAA groups, and uh, you know they were off their game, and and it was tough for me because I try to create a really fun environment where they want to come and they want to work hard and we're going to have fun, but it's through hard work and things like that and getting better and building self-confidence in your work. And I think I let, let the reins go a little too loose maybe on Monday and Tuesday, they kind of walked all over me and I had to kind of, kind of be good cop, bad cop, uh, had to go with the bad cop there. Uh, it was, it was interesting. I think I told him I was about to rip my own head off. Uh, I was so frustrated with him. I don't know why I said that. My voice is gone. Um, you know, just because they're very detail oriented and they had none of that in their game. So, um, I don't know, just something we talked about on this podcast with Vinny was, was keeping kids, you know, accountable and being honest with them and honest in your projection of where you think they're going to, they're going to end up and helping them and being honest with their surroundings. And, the kids that I train are all very, very good hockey players. And my whole thing was, you know, some of you guys are going to the USHL next year. You're one person. You care about yourself. What you don't see is the 500 kids lined up right behind you. If you fail, that team's getting rid of you and they're bringing in number two. And if he fails, they're bringing in number three. And although that's a harsh reality at 16, 17, if you're trying to play juniors, you got to know that that's a reality. So I had to kind of let them know that again yesterday and uh, my voice is completely gone now. <laughs> I can just see it. Was it one of those things where you were like, you were so mad you didn't know what to say. You're like, I'm gonna, I, I, I'm gonna rip my head off. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was intense. Yeah, it was, I don't, uh, I don't get that intense very often anymore, but um, you know, sometimes you got to do it. That's, I mean, that's great. It's one of like, it's interesting you say that because um, coaching at the higher levels, I feel like you need one bag skate a year. You have yeah. to have one practice a year because it's just human nature where you can be detail oriented and you can, um, do the right things as a coach and have your team prepared. But at some point they're going to get complacent at mm-hmm. some point they're going to need the bag, the, the bag skate. Like I'm not a believer in bag skating. I think you You're can, right. you can work the kids hard and condition them, you know, in a way that's like, um, what's the word in a way that's like uh productive right doing drills and stuff but right there's a time and a place for not this is not uh-uh this is not how yeah. you do things here and go get on the line and usually it just yeah. happens once a year they just got to kind of get knocked down a peg or two and and understand that 
it takes work and you got to bring it every day. And that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to, you got to do that. Uh, you got to give them the peep slap, you know, like <laughs> I, I was waiting you guys... for you to say that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that <laughs> let, from the start. I let, I let you guys have a lot of rope and it was going very well, but sometimes, you know, as the, the captain of the ship, you got to You got to get it back on course. And I think that it's kind of funny that we had this podcast recording today right after that happening, because, you know, we talked about being honest with kids and, and stuff like that. And if I didn't care about these kids, <laughs> I would have let it happen. Right. And I told him that I'm like, look, I, I love each and every one of you and I want the best for you. And I know you all want to be at that next level. So right now me doing the best for you is doing this right now and not allowing you to be that way. You know, it's not because we were having fun. It was, it was just a bad day, you know? And so I think as coaches in today's world, sometimes coaches go too far yelling all the time and then there's guys on the other end of the spectrum that want to be the buddy and let them walk over them all the time i'm definitely more towards the buddy in the way that i approach coaching but every now and then like you said i do it probably more than once a year maybe maybe three times a year and it's not like i plan it but like if things get too loose you know they got to know that i'm running the ship and i i'm i mean business and i'm doing it to help them yeah, and it goes back to we've talked about it before. Just the the importance of being hard on kids and and making sure you're holding them accountable to high standards. And um, I think as a coach at the beginning of the season, you have to make it very clear um, how it's going to be. And I'm not going to let things slide. And 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 actually ask the kids too, because if you ask them like, hey, do you guys want me to be a pushover and you just want this to be easy, or do you want to get better? Like, do you want me to make sure that? I'm doing my job and making sure that you're doing things necessary to become a better player. And every single one of them say, Hey coach, like, yeah, I want that. And then when you need to be hard on them, then you go back to that and say, Hey, remember that conversation that we had earlier in the year, guys or girls, you guys want me to be tough on you. You want me to hold you accountable. So this is, this is what it's going to be. Go get on the line. And then afterwards, did you guys deserve that? hundred percent. They'll say yes. So it's just a way like being upfront with it. And, uh, I think that's such an important job as a coach because it is, it's, it's, it's a huge part of what we do is, is holding them to those high standards. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, us being so recently removed from the game, it was, it was hard for me. Like I was actually like sick to my stomach before I was about to do it because it was kind of going on too long throughout the, throughout the workout. And, you know, I was like, God, like I'm going to, ha- I got to change this. Like I can't let this go because if I let this go and it keeps going on, those kids are going to juniors and they're going to get cut. The coach is going to hate them. You know what I mean? And, and so like, that would be my fault for not stepping up and, and doing the right thing and, and teaching them a lesson, you know? So it's definitely a little hard, a little sick to my stomach, but, uh, my voice is gone, but I feel like in my heart, I probably did the right thing. And, and, and you know, we talked about that, that being honest and, and, um, transparent with the kids on this podcast with Vinny and you know I've never met Vinny love the accent hey he's a New York guy <laughs> told me he wanted to give me a pizza like what do, what do, you, what do you say garbage the garbage he kept saying the, I was laughing so hard um and I think maybe we should uh have Hulls sponsor this episode and then have them send him a care package of some throat lozenges sorry for the people listening Vinny had a couple of coughs you'll hear about 200 coughs and uh Topher and I were, were getting a good chuckle out of that but um I got the black lung pop um 
but Vinny, Vinny is a great guy. And then the second half of this podcast, we really got into some, some good meat of, of the episode and, and some things that I know we both said that we're going to take to coaching next year. Um, so it was really cool to hear a different person's, uh, um, perspective on everything. Yeah. Yeah. Vinny's a guy that's respected in the business and I thought it'd be good to, to have somebody like him on who, uh, has run a program that has, they've, they've, put a lot of kids into college hockey and, and getting into pro hockey. It's a, it's a relatively new program that they have. They have a lot of resources at their disposal, which certainly helps. Um, but they do, I mean, I think they do things for the most part, the right way. And, and uh, Vinny gets a lot out of his players. You, you see the passion that he has in this podcast. It's the same way when he's on the bench and he's coaching. Uh, it's the same way when, you know, when I was a college coach, talking to him about his players uh, that we were recruiting and stuff. So um, a lot of passion comes out in this episode. Um, a lot of like really, yeah, like you said, a lot of really good ideas that I'm going to take with whatever team that I'm going to coach uh, in, in the future. And uh, yeah, a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, really make sure you guys listen to the end um, towards the end. V- Vinny dropped a really cool exercise that he does weekly with his teams and Tolf and I are both going to adopt that for next year. I, th- I thought that was very cool, but yeah, awesome guy. Love that. He's a forward thinker. You could clearly tell he's the kind of person that if I have a kid playing at that level of hockey, he's the kind of person I want coaching them. Cause you could tell that he loves the kids. He's all for their development. He even said like, I want to teach the kids to win and to teach the kids to want to win and those things. But if we don't win and we gave it our best and we were learning and we're getting better, like who cares about losing a game in October when you're 16 years old, if you're, you know, in the long run, when you look back on your career, um, as long as you're developing throughout the year and that's what he's about. So he's the kind of person that I personally would like to have uh, coach, you know, future son or daughter. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, uh, before we do get over to Vinny, a uh, couple things, couple house cleaning items. Uh, one uh, had a really big announcement this week with uh, Derek Lalonde, assistant coach for the Tampa Bay Lightning, coming to our hockey development conference in Chicago. Uh, so Newsy, as he's called in uh, in the college and pro and junior world. Um, as good as he is as a coach, he's probably even funnier as a guy. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward to, to see him speak. I talked to him the other day, and, and he's going to speak about why the best players in the world are the best players in the world. And he's had the chance to coach uh, over the past year. Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, Braden Point, Victor Hedman, Vasilevsky, like all those guys. So um, just you know, why are those guys the best? What do they do on a daily basis that, that makes them the best in the world? Um, and then how do you coach guys like that? You know, as a coach, um, what do you do to facilitate their growth? And how much do you coach them? How much do you teach them? What do you teach them? What do you coach them? What are the conversations like with, with players of that caliber? And I think that's just such a, such a profound thing. And, and I'm so excited that, uh, that he's able to come and, and speak at the conference. So our lineup is, uh, I'm really excited for it. I know I'm going to learn a ton. Um, and uh, I know the people that will be able to come are, are going to learn a ton as well. Yeah, man, I'm I'm extremely excited. I mean, I'm going to learn so much from from the the panel that you put together, and it's going to be super fun. Like, I I just I'm excited that it's going to be something different. Um, you know, like we talked about, not it's more interactive and things like that. So, yeah, I'm 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 jazzed, buddy. Yeah, well, I mean. Even look at the lineup, you have NHL players, you have an NHL coach, you have NHL 
strength and conditioning coaches, you have NHL skill development coaches, you have college coaches, you have USHL GM, you have a, an Olympian, a sled hockey Olympian. And you know, we talk about perspective all the time and how important it is to development. Um, here you are. You have a lot of different perspectives from a lot of really high-thinking, forward-thinking people that are going to be at this conference, and uh, you're going to be able to interact with them. You're going to be able to ask them questions. You're going to be able to give your opinion and learn and talk and, and collaborate, and, and that's what this conference is all about, and I'm so excited for it. I can't wait for it. I can't wait to get back home, too. Chicago's my hometown, so that's going to be fun, too, and the fact that it's at the Blackhawks practice facility, and it's in the actual place where the Blackhawks do their workouts, like it's in their strengthening conditioning facility um i think that's going to even add a huge flavor to it and uh really excited for it yes it will add (laughs) it will add a delicious flavor to her (laughs) um and uh the other thing too just we've talked about this before on the podcast but just getting some more feedback um and that's we would really, really appreciate it if uh, you just give us some feedback on on what we're doing. And uh, a great way to do that is to um, shoot us reviews and shoot us ratings on iTunes um, and on your Apple Podcasts on your phone and stuff like that. And and honestly, if you you really do think what we're doing is helping people, which that's some of the feedback that we've gotten, please uh, continue to share us with uh, your youth organizations, your parent groups. Uh, If you're on forums online on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or anything like that. Um, I listen to some podcasts, and, and uh, I know they, they ask people to actually take screenshots of uh, of their phones when they're listening to the podcast and things like that and share them with people. So um, we really appreciate it. If you continue to give us feedback, um, let us know what you want to hear from us so we can put some more guests on that, that you want to hear from. And, uh, again, we really appreciate everybody that's tuned in. This has been a, a really fun ride that we've been doing, and uh, we want to continue to make it even better. So um, any feedback that you can provide us in any way you can share what we're doing with people that you think can, can use uh, some perspective on, on youth hockey or, or higher levels of hockey, if you can, that would be awesome. I have nothing to add to that. That was perfect. It's like you <laughs> walked around in my brain and then spit it out of your mouth. <laughs> That was okay. weird. That was yeah. really well, weird. Let's go with it, John Malcolm. <laughs> and with that, without further ado, <laughs> let's head it on over to Vinny Smith. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, all the way from the New Jersey, New York area, Vinny Smith. Vinny, how are you doing today, man? Good, Tolf. Everything's good. How are you? Doing well. Can't complain. Sunny day out here in central New York, and uh, the draft is done. Free agency coming up, so a lot of hockey stuff. But uh, I'm sure we'll get into a lot of hockey talk here. But before we do get into that, let's give our listeners a little bit of a glimpse into your background. Vinny, how'd you get involved with the game, and, and how'd you fall in love with the great sport of hockey? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty much a little bit more unconventional than most. Um, inner city kid, grew up in Queens, New York. Um, Roller hockey was the prevalent thing for most kids in the inner city. Uh, played till I was about 15, 16, and then uh, got involved with ice hockey through like a parent that was like, you know, come down, skate, etc. And uh, <laughs> played tier one U16. And then my 17 and 18 year, my parents didn't even know what ice hockey was. Um, so basically, didn't play my 17, 18 year, just played roller hockey, went to a high school, and then. Uh, Basically went to school and went to work at 18, 19. Um, and I ran into a guy who ran a tier two youth program in Brooklyn, 
said, Hey, you're a skilled kid. You want to get involved with helping the little kids? Said, sure. Went down there. First workout, fell in love with it. Um, and to fast forward at 18, 19, I started doing tier two, uh, progressed to junior hockey um, for about five, six years, the Metro Moose. Uh, back when the Metropolitan Junior League was prevalent, and uh, most of the young kids weren't playing midget hockey. Uh, the Junior B Leagues were flooded with young, talented uh, kids, <laughs> and then uh, kind of became passionate about the, the evaluation component of it, the development component of it, and uh, <laughs> kind of went a little bit on my own, doing the festival thing, going and watching the top kids, um, and then I started scouting the USHL at a young age with Green Bay and then Des Moines, um, and then from that point, I kind of fell in love with the U16 midget component, <laughs> almost to a certain extent where I felt like we were recruiting a lot of kids to play junior at 15 and 16, and they were playing against 20, 21-year-old kids. And the development, uh, you know, the model wasn't there in terms of those kids being able to continue to touch the puck, continue to do the things that they were good at. Uh, they were more surviving than thriving. Um, so I fell in love with the U16 model as an opportunity to, to do the things that I wanted to do with the, with the younger kids. Um, and I went to the Long Island Gulls to coach U16. Um, same thing, you know, great program. Just I was looking for something uh, to, to kind of put my, tink, put my teeth into. And uh, New Jersey Avalanche became a program that I fell in love with. A good friend of mine, Jamie Cahill, was over there. Um, he had told me that the ownership was tremendous. Um, and I was latching on to looking to be involved with people that had the same lateral passion as I did. Um, and uh, Jamie said, listen, this program is – open uh it's, it's kids first they're they're progressive you know they're willing to give somebody the keys to the castle to, to do things the way they want to do it um so my partner mark latito was who's coached me when i was a kid and i worked with for several years said we would like to you know try to take over a program and do some special things and be a little bit more progressive and unique and uh we met with dan may uh, the owner of the avalanche he was a tremendous guy uh he's been a mentor to me and uh myself and mark decided that this is a great landing spot for us to kind of bunker down, be here for five to 10 years, you know, invest our, our passion, invest everything that we wanted to do over the, the previous years into a midget program. Um, and that's kind of how it got off the ground. Um, nice. Just basically fell in love with, fell in love with the people. I think that's the biggest thing for me was, you know, leaving out a lot of details of that past just being like a quick recap. I think the most important thing for me and why the avalanche is special and why it, we believe we're building something even more special down the future is I think the people we work with are special. The passion and the love and the, the consistency is huge um, with all the guys that we work with. So when you said that, you know, you want to, you want to be progressive and, and do things your way or, or a different way, a better way, uh, et cetera. What, what kind of things are you doing with, with this club? I think just from the perspective of, I was a young coach, you're green, you know, you fall in love with the game and kind of what I was saying in my path was, the scouting component of just being a nobody, like, you know, not playing divisional hockey, or really, really not even having the education as a kid, an inner city kid to even know what it was. I and mean, we had guys when I played tier one sixteens that went to the OHL and played for Belleville and, and, and Peterborough. And I didn't even know what those teams were. So such a green perspective <laughs> coming into junior hockey at 23, 24 with the Metro Moose coaching kids that were 20, 21, you just started to see that, hockey at that point there wasn't a lot of development from a from a tangible hockey perspective it was a lot of life development like I, I learned a ton from that experience like the, the guys that were involved in that program were tremendous in building culture and treating the kids the right way and, and developing young men but in the same breath I fell in love with the the way the game was trending the IQ component 
you know, the, the way that you could take a 15 year old kid. And if you were serious about structuring their skill development, the way they ate, the way they trained, <laughs> there was a lot of high end kids that they had a really short window to make that jump and to put themselves in a really good position for the future. Um, and I just saw U16 <laughs> as a level where it was more conducive. The skill level was higher. It was more of a pinnacle elite level. And I think that in, in the same respect, you didn't have to worry about kids playing above themselves where they had to chip pucks out and they had to survive on the ice because they were playing against 20, 21-year-olds who weren't kids that were going to Division One institutions. <clears throat> Nothing to take away from those guys, but they were more or less looking at the club D3 route. And when you have a young 15, 16-year-old kid doing that, I, just, I started to develop this thought process that we could come in <clears throat> and really slow things down for these kids, really put a lot of emphasis on, you know, 100 minutes a week of skills, you know, constant contact in terms of video, the educational component. Um, and the Avalanche was the program for me that I felt resource-wise, intensity, um, and just the ability to say, you know, you need 10 to 15 people to build something, which a lot of people in, in youth hockey don't realize. Um, you can't build a program by yourself. You need to bring in a multitude of, high-end people who care more about the program than their own egotistical, you know, values, for to say. So for me, I think the Avalanche was kind of the place that we were able to say, yeah, we're not going <laughs> to deviate from our skill plan every week. Is it a mandated amount of skills that you have to do per week? You know, the off-season stuff, the nutrition, the lifting, all that stuff kind of became embedded in us. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the way that I had envisioned it for about 12, 13 years. Um, and then to be able to come to a program that was so open to <clears throat> allowing us to give the kids a ton and ramp the program up the way we wanted to do it, you know, it's it kind of why I fell in love with it. And currently this day, I'm still in love with the, with the program. And the reality of, of the Av success, ton of great people involved, the kids, the whole, you know, the whole thing that we've talked about. I think the, you know, the contributions from Larry and the ability to give kids, um, an extraordinary opportunity, um, you know, with a lot of amenities and the responsibilities that we spoke about and the guys behind the scenes like David Arduin and AJ Scalaglio, the great people just go on and on. And it's just something that is unique and special. That's, that's unreal, man. I, I mean, it's kind of like a holistic approach. You know, I think we, we had Mike Boyle on this podcast, which we were, I think, very lucky to have, you know, what I see as the best strength coach for hockey players in the world. And he said, fill up the empty buckets. I mean, I don't know if you know who Mike Boyle is, but he is like, he's like the Buddha of strength coach. He'll say like a simple sentence that like everyone should know, but no one thinks about. And he's like, you know what I say? Fill up the empty buckets. If you're skating six times a week, what are you missing? Your, your skating bucket, your on ice bucket is full. What are you not doing? Well, maybe you're not doing enough video. Maybe you're not in the gym enough, working on mobility, working on strength. So fill up those empty buckets. So line up a bunch of buckets and let's fill them all up. sounds like you guys are doing that. One bucket I'm not sure if you guys have over there is cough drops. Are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just uh, a little bit under the weather. My son's got a little bit of a cold, so I don't know. If the, the tail end of it. Oh, just bust, just bust <laughs> your balls, jerk. buddy. What a jerk. Just hey, he's from New York. I know New Yorkers can take it, all right? So, sorry. Hey, we're, we're a sensitive group out here, man. Well, maybe he's from the city, so he's a little tougher than we are here in upstate New York. Yeah. But. You're from Chicago. <laughs> Who are you kidding? You're not. Don't say you're a New I've been living York. out here for like what 12 years 13 years yeah ago? but 
half that time was in Ithaca. That's basically a fairy tale at Cornell, all right? <laughs> you're you're Chicago born and bred, baby. Come on. I am. I will Midwest. Say I will say that to the day that I die. Um, yeah. well Vinny, let me let Jeff, you know, being a jerk and all this kind of stuff. Let me let me ask you this question in terms of, you know, Jeff talking about all those buckets and um, you know, kids' time is very, very valuable. And um, what you guys are doing obviously takes up a lot of time if you want to do things the right way. How do you kind of find that balance and how do you teach those kids how to balance um, being a great student, being a great person in the community, but also striving to play college hockey, play pro hockey, if that's something that they want to do in the future? Because I know that's something that's, that's got to be tough with all the practices, all the games, and all the focus on development too. I think it's, I think it's a tremendous question. I think the, the thing is if you're understanding – um, you know, youth hockey, you get a lot of kids, that, especially in, in our area. ECAC is tremendously prevalent, obviously. You know, so if you work in that conference, you know the the standard and rigorous education that you need to have to get into a Cornell or Harvard or Yale, et cetera. So, you know, I think we've had a lot of kids that when you get a kid that wants to go Ivy or a kid that wants to go to a high-end academic institution, the biggest thing for us is trending towards a schedule that's conducive for that, you know, the Fridays and the Mondays and the missed days of school, like you have to, you won't have to be conscious that you're, you're working towards taking that away. And you also got to realize that if a kid is in a situation where his academics are going to come first as a coach and as a staff and as a program, we've always allowed our kids to miss games, you know, miss practices. Like at the end of the day, we feel that we, we create a pretty good safety net. We, we work so much from, August 15th, our training camp till the end of the season. And if the kid's got to miss six or seven things to, to maintain his midterms, to, to finish his papers, we've created a nice safety net where you're not going to you know, fall behind or, or miss too much because I kind of think that that's where the model uh, for us works. Um, but in terms of like balance and all that, you know, I think it's also just kind of being more conscious of you know, putting yourselves in the kid's shoes. You know, we get kids from all over the place. We're, we're in Hackensack, New Jersey. We have kids that commute from Philly, from Long Island, New York. You know, it's in the middle of gridlock. <laughs> um, you know, placing these kids in the right situations, like trying to force lifts four or five days a week at the U16 level uh, without having a predominantly local team is very tough. Uh, you know, putting each kid with a trainer that works with their schedule, you know, utilizing some of the high-end guys in this area like John DeFlorio and, and Prentice and those guys and making sure that these guys are able to – work out closer to home and you know they're with quality people um, and getting their strength and conditioning and they're getting their maintenance and they're getting their growth in season rather than trying to, you know, be a dictator and say we have lift three, four days a week um, with our company at Hackensack. I think that goes a long way. And then I think the video educational component, which is a big part of what we do, is just dealing with this generation. We have, we have two or three systems that we, we work with every different year and we always utilize different things and it's right on their phone. So it's an app on their cell phone. They get their shifts cut. They go on the phone. They have, they have zero excuse, 15, 20 minutes a week, Monday, Tuesday, to look at it. Uh, it's simple. It's quick. It's concise. Um, and I think that that's been a big part of it because we've evolved over the last couple of years to say, you know, we can't do two, three video sessions a week because we got kids that need to go to their personal trainer. We got lift. We got practice. And these kids are getting, you know, pounded with schoolwork. Um, so we try to do – those two components have been game changers for us, allowing the kids to work with the professional trainers on their own and also creating video portions that are accessible via the phone and that they're very quick and they're very to the point 
I think those two things have been huge for balancing that. And I think the, the first thing I said, the understanding of that these kids are going to have to miss some stuff <laughs> and they're going to have to be able to, you know, come to you and feel open enough to say, Hey, listen, coach, like, you know, I have to bear down. I have a paper, you know, I have midterms this week. You know, this is just the situation where I'm at and, and, and being able to, to look in the mirror and say, we're doing this for kids to go to college. Um, so when, you, when you're saying that statement, you got to live up to it. Um, and I think we've done a tremendous job with that. We've had probably over 30, 35 guys go to ECAC in the last couple of years. And, you know, that's, that's a huge, for me and for our program, I think that's a huge selling point because we're very open with our kids in terms of the academic side. That's awesome. And uh, kind of like going along with that, one of the questions, it sounds like you guys do things a lot individually. Um, you know, you talk about video stuff, you put it to their phones, you allow them to do individual stuff um, in terms of their strength coach and things like that. Um, at the same time, you know, I've I got the chance to coach against you this year uh, in midget hockey and have been able to watch your teams play when I was coaching at Cornell. Of all the teams in the country at the midget level, I feel like your team and what you guys have done in terms of, like, the bench and being bought in and guys all together. Like, when guys block a shot, your teams go freaking absolutely bananas. And uh, it seems Wait like... Wait a minute. What? Are you not allowed to bang on the boards anymore. <laughs> you well, better sir. not go nuts when you block a shot. What is that crap? Uh, dude, I saw, I was uh, actually on social media yesterday. There was like a petition that people signed. There was over like 20,000 people that signed a petition to get that rule out of, uh, out yeah, of I robot. signed it. That just, did you really? Think? <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah, I, I hate to like throw a wrench in there, but like if a kid blocks a shot, your teammates can't cheer. What? What? Yeah, I, I actually, I actually talked to talk about this. I mean, listen, I think USA Hockey is doing a great job of trending in the right direction. But when it comes to, you know, what we just spoke about with the kids, the education, the understanding of, you know, being open with these kids, it's the same thing with them. Like, you know, you know, so if you coach 16s, Jeff, you've coached 16s, 15 and 16 year old kids. One of the biggest struggles is getting them to, you know, come out of the shell, be open, be loving, be vulnerable, and like, it's just a situation where I think the people that decided to put this rule in maybe a little bit removed from the ground with these guys because it's, it's kind of taken away a lot of the, the passion that these guys can show for each other. And I think it's – I'm hoping, like Topher said, that petition turns it around because I think it's taken away a lot from the kids and their ability to show how much they care and the energy. And the, listen, the games – we all love this game because of the passion. You know, it's a beautiful game. If a guy goes out and blocks a shot or throws a hit or does something selfless, it should be celebrated. You know, I, there's definitely a time and place for excessive celebrations and, you know, coming down the line and doing things to show people up. But when it comes to just showing your love and your appreciation and your excitement, I think, you know, I think they missed the ball a little bit in that department. Oh, 100%. I, I get the intent of the rule with sportsmanship and stuff like that, but like, like you said, like, we love this game because it's a passionate game. It's the fastest game in the world. Um, it's maybe outside of football, but maybe even with football, it's one of the, like, um, toughest and most physical games in the world. Taking that passion out of it is just, you can't do that. But um, going back to the question, you guys do a lot of stuff individually with um, with your players, but you also have to, to walk that line and make sure that, you know, there is team structure and there's guidelines and standards and rules that everybody abides by. How do you kind of balance those two things? Because I, I found that that was actually kind of tough this year, um, being my first year uh, as a midget coach. Yeah, I think it's, I think in an ideal world, especially from where you come from, like, you know, your structure as a college coach and, 
when I coached juniors, it was a work day. You know, you never had kids miss. You know, they came in. It was a five-hour day. You know, you had them for long periods of time. Most of the kids were out of school, taking college classes. So it was an adjustment for me when you go to midget because you're dealing with kids that can't drive to practice. They're not responsible for themselves. And then you have to deal with the components of, you know, mommy and daddy take them to the rink. Um, and, and the accountability part of being late and stuff like that really fluctuates. So I think what it is is, is more of setting them up for success in regards to when we do things, how we schedule everything, uh, you know, really taking a look at the details of how we schedule stuff, you know, moving things around uh, to be able to have that team culture. I think the most important thing for the Avalanche culture and the Avs family stuff that we, that we talk about is we start our season with a training camp. It's two weeks. Um, it's basically everybody together for a full 10 to 15 days. And I think that's kind of the foundation for us where we break the vulnerability seal. We talk about the responsibilities you've had for the people that came before you. You know, the first thing that they do as a group, um, the 15, 16, and 18, 60 of them get on a bus. They go do their first charity event. Um, and they work at a school, uh, a kid's school in the Bronx and they set up the school for the day. You know, they put in a lot of work. And it's the first thing they do. It's a, it's a point of humility for us. When they come in, it's like, listen, this is the, this is the standard. Um, you know, giving back and realizing that you're responsible and this is a, uh, something that you need to do, I think, sets the tone for that. And then I think moving forward through the training camp, it's just a, an understanding and appreciation of the guys that have put that jersey on before, um, the work ethic that goes into it. And listen, to be honest, we give these kids a lot. You know, we're very, very fortunate um, you know, when Larry Robbins, when I met Larry Robbins a year into the avalanche, he was like, listen, I want to help. I want to speed this up. What you guys are doing is fantastic. I love this. Like he was uh, a parent that was over the top about the, the progression of the program and the culture that we were building and obviously having, you know, the ability to use a private facility, um, and then incorporate our build program. I think that gave us the opportunity to give these kids a lot. We're able to give them more ice. We're able to give them more ability to do training camps and off-site location stuff and, and really bring the team in to have practices where nobody else is in the building, team dinners, uh, situations where it can be really intimate, no distractions, blinders on. Um, and that has given us the opportunity to really create that culture. The other part of it is, is the, con- the consistency of that. Um, we work with the New York Rangers sled hockey program. We do, you know, the American Cancer Society thing every year. We've raised over $200,000 with that. It's been tremendous for the kids. Um, you know, and then I think just cooking at the Ronald McDonald house, consistently making the kids do those things creates that humility, uh, the understanding of responsibility of being a good citizen. And I think the other part of it is the boys are together in those type of situations all the time. So I think that's kind of the biggest Thing that we do that keeps the team stuff, but if you're 100% correct. The individual stuff so important to us because I do think individual development is the way to, to go about developing young kids. So we do a ton of individual video. We do a ton of one-on-one work. Um, and I think that that's kind of our model. Like we're going to develop the individual while maintaining that, that family atmosphere um, and creating that through a lot of hard work. It's hard work. It's, it's really just putting together a schedule that, is going to force these guys into situations where they're together a lot and they're put into situations where they're giving back together and they're starting to see the real world. And they're starting to see that they, they're the next generation, that they're going to be the men of the future that has to, you know, carry the, you know, the decency of the world. And these guys, they love it. I mean, we've had great kids. We're very fortunate to have great kids. And, you know, I think that that's, 
that's the culture. You know, that's, that's what I, that's what I fall in love with. And that's what I love to do every day is the abs have kind of embraced that. So I wanted to ask a couple things. One was what is the app that you guys use to send the clips directly to the boys' phones? Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we, so we, we use a lot of different, uh, you know, video systems and whatnot. Uh, and the, the problem that we saw was when we use Steva, when we use game break and those things, it's great for us, you know? Um, but we, you really have to go a little bit lower end uh, to get the, the stuff for the kids that we want. So we, we use crossover. It's, it's actually like a form of huddle. And the great part about it is literally everything that's done on the system, it's, it's on a website, it's a server, um, and then it goes directly into their, into their files. So the kids have a crossover app on their phones, goes directly to them, and listen, we have a way of monitoring who signed in, who's looked at what. So it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty flawless from the perspective of like, seeing what guys are doing and there's no gray area of like, yeah, I looked at those clips. Well, you, you know, if you did it, you didn't coach. No. You know, yeah. I, I think, I think know. the biggest thing is that, you know, and you touched on this earlier saying that <clears throat> you got to put yourself in the kid's shoes and Tof and I always talk about perspective and you got to know like, okay, if this kid's not driving himself, okay, it's not his fault all the time. If he's late, could be mom and dad's fault. There's literally nothing he can do. And putting yourself in the kid's shoes and Toph and I were actually just talking yesterday on the phone um, about how I said, I think he needs to, you know, throw stuff on Instagram more for the kids. Cause Toph does, I think an unbelievable job on Twitter with his, um, you know, the little things from last night and putting a ton of great information on Twitter, but all these kids that I train and coach, none of them use Twitter. So what I told him is, you know, you're affecting a lot of change and helping a lot of adults. But I think that what are the kids doing? They're all looking at Instagram and Snapchat. Obviously, you're not going to throw, you know, things like that on Snapchat. But for us to reach the kids, you've got to know what works for them. And I like that you went with the system where it goes directly to their phone because we all know their phone is attached to their hand, just like everyone in society nowadays, pretty much. So you looked at it and said, well, what's going to be the best for the kids? Not what's the best in the world. What is going to be the best for the kids? kids they all have their phone let's send it directly to their phone i like that you think that way that's very cool well i think it goes even deeper with the perspective too like uh, with all the stuff that they do with their team off the ice like you mentioned perspective these midget kids are in a bubble they're in like a huge bubble and they don't really think about anything else other than themselves and their careers which i'm that's not like a diss but hey like they have hopes and dreams of playing college hockey and playing um playing at the highest levels but at the same time, they can get wrapped up in it, and it can be stressful, and it can be crazy. And the fact that you guys are going and doing stuff for charity and going to the Ronald McDonald house, like you're making these kids better hockey players, um, not just better people, because then they have some perspective like, oh, okay, so I haven't been talked to by a college yet. Well, that's okay. I have food on the table. Life's pretty freaking good. <laughs> you know, My parents can <laughs> afford for me to come and play for the North Jersey Avalanche. Life is pretty freaking good. And uh, in my experience at the midget level, and I don't know, Vinny, if you feel the same way, um, I feel like that's so important because the kids at that age, they are very stressed. They see kids committing at young ages, and they wonder why they're not. They see their friends who they think they're better than getting different opportunities that maybe they, don't, they think that they deserve. So, like... Um, how, how, how do you handle that? Because you've been doing this for a lot longer than I have. What's that like for you? I, it's, it's, it's always the, the common denominator with, with the teams. You know, you coach high-end teams, you recruit high-end skill guys. You have to deal with the speed at which guys came to school and guys passing by each other, you know, in perception of where they're at in their careers. Um, 
I think I think the most important thing is honesty. You know, I think with another parallel to what we really believe in, you know, and a lot of people do the same thing. There's a lot of great midget programs out there. I think the honesty component is you, know, you have to be honest with kids. The minute you start to placate and, you know, say things to, to help kids feel better, um, you know, you don't want to crush these kids, but you want to start to develop the honesty barrier where the next couple of years, and, you know, told if you've gone down the road and you, you played in the USHL and so on and so forth, and it's just you need to develop that. Um, and I think the, you know, the one component to the avalanche is, you know, Marco Tito, who's I've been with forever, one of my closest friends and mentors, he does a tremendous job with our kids of our processes. We have a lot of guys at U16. It's, it's actually a great parallel that make the jump to the USHL. We don't love that because obviously the league is so tough to play in. Um, and we talked about it before. Development to me is not surviving. You know, it's, it's harnessing and thriving. It's continuing to, you know, to do the things you do well at an elite level and then continuing to work on your deficiencies away from the puck and all the details that you need to, to tighten up. And I think a 16-year-old kid going from U16 to the USHL is a tough jump. And we have our blue-chip athletes that go on to the program and are, are tenders and do those things. Um, but there's a lot of kids that are looking that direction. And our U18 program has had a ton of success and put a lot of kids in college and I think what Mark brings to the table is the honesty. We're not going to hold you back. You know, we, every year we've moved you know, between three to five kids in season uh, from our U18 team to the USHL. Those three kids every year probably would have put us over the top to win a national championship. We've lost in two finals. And uh, I think that is proof, not just words, that Mark puts forward, that he's not going to hold you back, but he doesn't want people going to the USHL just to go and play there and, and to chase that. Um, and I think that model of honesty saying, hey, you're not ready. <laughs> or listen, you're, you're here. There's another whole level to get to if you want to be there. And, and you can listen to everybody else, but this is an honest evaluation. This is an honest perspective. You know, sometimes those conversations are tough. But I think the consistency of it is what makes it real and tangible. And I think that the kids respect you a ton more when you're honest, you know, rather than when you just tell them what they want to hear. Um, and, yeah, I think to a certain perspective, what you said before about the, they're in a bubble, I think it's, it's brutally hard on these kids not to constantly submerge themselves in what their peers are doing. You know, when guys commit to school, if they feel they're better than, have the conversation. <laughs> hey, listen, this, this school saw this and this kid. This is the, you know, you give them the details of, of what went on, and then you, you know, then you reinstate the fact that, you know, a lot of the growth mindset that everybody adopts and that we adopt, you reinstate that. And that's where the, that's where you have to come to the surface. And those guys have got to learn that that is growth. You know, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to sit there and dissect everything with the kids, but every once in a while talk about it. like, listen, this kid's committed to this college of doing this because of this. What do we control? <laughs> what do you control? So I think that that's kind of it. And I, and I do think, you know, the process with our 16s and 18s is, if you're not a kid that's going to go out to the USHL, you're not a kid that's going to go to a junior league and be absolutely dominant or be an impact guy that's going to develop, our U18 program is tremendous for that. And I think Mark is great at making them into men. Uh, he treats them like men. He respects them, but he's very honest. And I think it's a great path. Like we've had a lot of kids that have played a year or two of U16s, you know, high-profile kids. And the guys who have gotten that extra year of u 18 that have gone and, and stayed one more year and dominated and, and Mark's turned them into men and, and basically just giving them that last little 
chisel before they leave. Those guys have been our most successful. You know, we've had a couple of guys get the NHL draft picks through that model. <laughs> we've had a lot of guys that have gone out and torched the USHL and done tremendously well. Guys that have led college teams. So I think that it's just honesty. You know, I, I probably took a, lo- a lot longer than you wanted me to answer that question. I think <laughs> not, bru- not, bru- not brutal honesty, but I think the honest component. A lot of people are afraid to have hard conversations with kids. <laughs> and, yeah. and listen, the, the emo- you know, the compassionate side, we're all, anyone that does you talking and does this stuff, they're, they're good people. They care about the kids. But it's, it's a tough thing to tell a kid, hey, we got to bear down and work hard and not sit there and say, oh, you, you are better than this kid. Don't worry. That, that stuff for me, we just never really got into that, that, uh, that narrative. Yeah. So I have two questions for you, just kind of follow-ups. One, you talk about Mark Latito. How bad do you think his throat hurts after games? <laughs> I'll tell you what. The, the reality of it is, is Jeff made the cough drop comment, and I texted him. <laughs> I texted Mark, and I said, we got a guy out in St. Louis. But, nah, he, to be honest with you, Mark, to me, uh, the intensity at his age is tremendous. Um, the kids love playing for him, and that's the culture. Like, you can't really put that in a category. Like, Mark's passion, the guys we have on our staff, we have so many high-end people that we've worked hard to put this staff together. Like, Mark is the, is the alpha when it comes to, you know, people looking at the avalanche and saying, you know, oh, Mark Latito, Vinny Smith, that there's so many guys that, are, that have trained under Mark, that have developed under Mark, um, you know, from a coaching perspective. Like, our Bantam coach, Donnie Kane, started working with the National Development Program last year. Tremendous. Uh, you know, we got a kid, Dan Casano, who another young kid who's taking his time and his details. You know, I referred to Jamie Kale before. You know, he's coached some of the highest end teams in the country at the 97 goal team with, you know, with Brocko, McAvoy, and, and all those guys. And I think Mark is the guy that everyone looks at if he's screaming and yelling. But if you pulled any kid out of the locker room, you know, if that plays for him, they love him. You know, and I think that that's, that's kind of what drew me to work with Mark because I played summer hockey for him when I was a kid. And I'm like, this guy's awesome. <laughs> like, this is what I want. You know, I want to be, in, I want to be involved. If you care that much, like I want to play for you. So I think that like going back to the beginning of this conversation, the culture with the avalanche has a lot to do with that. You know, some people may think it's like brash and, you know, not arrogant, but there's definitely that sense of New York swag, <laughs> you know, that Brooklyn, Staten Island, Queens stuff. Um, but honestly, it's just, he loves it, you know, and he doesn't really, he's not afraid to, to be who he is. And I think that's kind of how we all are. You know, I'm a little bit more reserved. You know, I'm a little bit more in the, in, the, in the video room and doing those things. But I think the kids love the passion that Mark brings. And I think that's what the abs are. And you hit the nail on the head before. When that rule change came out, my top three or four kids were like, what are we doing? Like, well, what's the deal? You know, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, hey, well, hopefully this thing doesn't turn over. But if it doesn't, I'm like, going to have to have a conversation. Like, work on the PK. I don't know. <laughs> I like that. Going to have to work on the PK. I like that. That's funny. I haven't heard that yet. Um, but my other question with that, in terms of what you were talking about, like with your guys' model, Jeff and I talk on this podcast all the time about um, it's a marathon and it's not a sprint and there's no need to jump levels in, in your development path. And it's kind of sad that USA Hockey, the way that it's structured right now, the U18 level has kind of gone by the wayside. And you look at 
you know, you go to that stupid My Hockey Rankings website, and basically the top 10, 15 teams are all like recruited prep school, split season type teams. And then there's the North Jersey Avalanche, like which is kind of like the only full season U18 team um, around that area. But uh, it, it, it saddens me so much because we've talked about it. When I was growing up, U18 was like midget major. That's where you aspired to play even before like playing junior hockey or playing in the NHL like you would go and you'd watch the the midget majors play and you'd be banging on the glass you'd have the whole organization there and all that kind of stuff um do you see that changing at all do you see the U18 model coming back do you hate the fact that uh like as much as I do that U18 is kind of an afterthought now because kids are going to want to play junior hockey as quick as they can I hate it yeah I think I, I, yeah, I think it's it's pretty much, you know, when the USHL decided to to go young and and the, the plan to go you know young over a couple of years, we've seen the the kids go young and now the 18U hockey is suffered. I think for us, it'll never be. Um, you know, that's why we've created the leagues that we've created, like the Beast League that we all put together collectively with Tolf, as you mentioned, all the split season teams and all the prep kids. I mean, if you really take a look, if you take a hard look at U18 hockey. In the split season, Shattuck, you know, Northwood, St. Mike's, those leagues are producing draft picks. Those leagues are predominant all Division One rosters. It's just a very small bubble. You know, there's like a 15, 20 team window. And we've tried to create playing those teams over and over and over again because, as you mentioned, it is a lot more watered down because the North American League is expanded. You know, the amount of junior leagues all over, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. So, I do believe in it because I think the, the success rate of young kids bypassing uh, 18U to go play in the North American League and go play in the USHL is going to come back to the middle. Um, but the only thing that we can do is do what we do with the Beast, you know, creating that, that split league where the, the exposure is through the roof, the NHL scouts are through the roof, and the top 10 hockey. You know, and I think that's kind of – you just got to adapt. You know, we don't control – the expansion of junior hockey and we can't control, you know, the, the culture right now of kids going to play junior hockey early. The only thing we can do is put our kids in the best situations to play the best 18 teams. And I think if you go watch that hockey, it's ridiculously high end. It's just like you said, it's, it's become the narratives become uh, 18 years really good at the top. The rest of it's irrelevant. That's a shame in my opinion, you know, because I do think, I think it goes back to the beginning of this conversation. The young kids, that goal play junior hockey, North American League is a tough league to play in. You know, if you're a young kid and you're skilled and you have, a, you have assets that you can utilize over the next couple of years to become, whether it's a playmaker, scorer, you know, responsible two-way forward, you, you start to lose some of your identity when you go play in those leagues. And that's, that's not me giving you an opinion. That's fact. You're going to lose your identity because you have to do what it takes to win. You have to cement yourself as a player that can be responsible and you're going to play the style that that coach wants to play. If you get into a system or a style that a coach doesn't agree with your skill set, you know, you've basically given up some, some of your development. You've given up your identity. So I think that I agree with you. When I watched U18 11 years ago scouting, it was unbelievable. You know, it was the, it was the Cadillac. And I just think that at some point, I think it will go back. Um, I think it's trending in that direction a little bit now. I think you're seeing more and more kids go to prep school, more and more kids want to stay home because I think that the reality is there's not that many young kids that are ready to jump in and be very successful at the next level. And I think that the, the model that we've created is if you're not 
absolutely no doubt a kid that's going to be situationally put in positions to succeed at the next level, our U18 program is going to challenge the hell out of you. And we do. And that's the schedule that we put together. So I think that the Beast League gives us an opportunity to be unique while we're the outliers in the 18U equation. And I also think that the formation of the, the Northeast Pack that we put together, um, Jeff had spoken about it earlier offline, game count for us has always been a big thing. So getting Buffalo, Pittsburgh, selects them out to, to form a league that's local, homegrown events, no plane rides, play three or four games in a weekend, you do that five times. I think, those, I think that's the trend going on right now. Like play better hockey in better locations. Don't drag the kids all over the country. And I think that that's starting to infuse U18 hockey a little bit in our area. That's great. That's great. And you mentioned the exposure piece to it, too. I mean, that's what the Beast League was kind of formed with, was to get uh, some of the best groups together um, to give them exposure. And we have this conversation all the time in, in college hockey circles, youth hockey circles. We've talked about it on this podcast. How do you kind of balance exposure versus development? Because I feel like so many people want the exposure piece of it, and you guys have certainly done a great job of that with the Beast League, with the Avalanche and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if you want to play college and you want to play pro hockey, like you have to be a really good hockey player. So it's not just about getting seen <laughs> by people. Like You actually have to be good, too. Crazy thought. But um, how do you kind of balance that with North Jersey and with the Beast League and, and all that kind of stuff? Because it's a tricky, tricky question. And um, yeah, I know you're all about development. But, again, people want the exposure, too. Well, let me, let me interject there. Like I think right now a lot of people are thinking – well, exposure, 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 I'll work on developing later. Well, I'd rather develop nine out of 10 and then one out of 10 have the exposure when I'm ready and I'm developed, not have the exposure when I'm not ready. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather have that, that emphasis on development from a younger age and just follow that through. And then as you get older, then you go to those big tournaments that you need to go to, to, to have the quote unquote exposure. Oh my God, we need to be in this tournament because if I don't go there, I'm not going D1. Well, if you're good, they'll find you, but work on the development first and then the exposure, not the other way around. Why would you want to have your kids have it being seen all the time when you're not practicing, you're not lifting, you're not there's doing just, this or that? There's just one problem, Happy. You're not, you're any, not any good. good. <laughs> well, I've seen those finger paintings and they suck. Yeah. <laughs> happy Gilmore. Go ahead, Vinny. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's, it's kind of the whole conversation is viral. I think it's, um, I think most of the people in our area, um, you know, with, with the volume of college commits in the last five years, it's, it's exposure, exposure, exposure. Jeff's dead on. Um, I think the reality is, my boy Tommy O'Connor, you know, if you're a fraud, you're a fraud. You know, so you can, you can fake it all the way, but when you're a fraud, it's going to come to the surface at some point. And to your point, Tolfer, the, if you have to be a good hockey player, like you can put a kid at 15 years old or a band of major and put him in the right showcases and put him in the right situations, and he can look great and earn an early college commitment before the rule change. If he doesn't develop, well, the reality is that that's not going to ever be anything. So I think most important thing for us is we've trended in the direction to where our game count is lowering. Um, 
you know, we've left some obligations in some leagues that we've played in. Like we played in the tier one elite league. It was a great league for us, but it was 30 something games. It was five planes. Um, and it was a very grinding, you know, our parents financially, our kids missing school, some of the stuff we spoke about earlier. So we, we've decided to go on the model of let's do both, you know, exposure development. So you could still get high end work weeks of practice. You can still get a ton of educational video stuff where you're not scrambling from city to city. Um, and you can still develop your body in season while playing the best teams. Um, and that's kind of concentrating what we're doing, you know, playing the best Eastern teams and then going out and playing the Western teams, you know, when we need to, you know, go out there and play them twice. You know, you don't have to go out and chase it all year long. Give these kids more recovery time. <laughs> Give these kids more opportunities to, you know, have a real work week. Because a lot of times you compromise your work week. And to me, that's, that's everything to me. You know, I need to have structure during the week where we've put together six team activities that have been positive, productive, and there's some growth. Um, whether that's, you know, four on ice sessions and two video sessions <laughs> or, you know, individual meetings. Whatever the case is, I want to work, walk out of that week where we've progressed. And I think that gets lost in the shuffle as a youth coach because you're so, it's so chaotic and it's so fast and you got a lot of different egos and personalities. That's where I think the non-negotiable stuff with the avalanche for us, building our program all the way up from the mites, we're not going to veer away from that. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to compromise the week, the practice week. Um, you know, and I think also, when it comes to exposure, you know, we're in a great location. So for us, we just, you know, we have to do our job as administrators and our job as guys that are starting to put together leagues and better showcases to maximize the fact that, you know, 65, 70% of college hockey is right here. So for our kids, like we literally build our schedule around not competing with major junior showcases, you know, not going into weekends where it's the startup for college hockey, staying away from, you know, all those things that could be a roadblock for scouts to get in the building. And to be honest with you, over the last five years with the Avalanche, the exposure has been tremendous. I mean, we get seen of, of our 80 games that we've averaged over the first, you know, five years of this process. Ew. We've gotten co- D- Division One schools in the building, probably 60, 65 of those games. Maybe every 10 to 15 games are the throwaway games locally and stuff like that. But, you know, the reality is now that we're cutting our schedule down to 60, and getting to a more maintainable goal, you know, we're not going to give up the exposure. We're just going to be better with putting our kids in better situations because 80 is a banana land number. Um, and we had to do that because of some obligations and some of the things that you spoke about, chasing exposure. And that's the reality. A lot of teams have to do that, and they don't have to do that. You don't have to, you don't have to compromise missing practices, missing workouts, dragging these kids all over the place, fatigue, all that stuff you can play 55, 60 games and do it the right way. And feeding off the education component, I think like the beast, uh, which we spoke about, was created, you know, a couple of guys, Steve Novador at Yale, John Bologna, Scott McDougall with the River Rats, you know, Brandon Johnson with Mitch Fairfield, myself and Mark with the Avs. We just wanted to create a model that would be able to back up what we wanted to do, which is limiting the days of school you missed, creating a tournament schedule, and a competition committee where the best teams played and the prep school kids didn't have to miss Friday and Saturday classes. Taking control and creating that, that beast was pretty much for that. Um, and it gave us the opportunity to control missing school, putting the better teams against each other, and, and creating events that for the first half of the fall, 
you know, are in front of every school. So I think that that's an important part of the process for the Avalanche and for youth hockey that, you know, you don't want to compromise your education values. You don't want to compromise, you know, people having to give up days of school, um, you know, for exposure. And I think the beast checks all the boxes and those guys have done a tremendous job of growing it in the future. You know, it's very bright for, for that type of model. Yeah. And I, it's funny you talk about like the college commitment thing, because I'm a little bit rattled when it comes to that right now, because a kid I coached this year, actually this week just switched his commitment and it really pissed me off. So I'm going to do a little truth bomb right here. And it, I think it's like, I think it's very relevant to the conversation that we're having right now. And the conversation is, look, you can get all the exposure that you want at 15, 16 years old, and you can get a college commitment and think that exposure is important. But at the end of the day, if you're not good enough to play for that college when you get to be 18, 19 years old, they're not going to take you. They're just flat out not going to take you. You're seeing it all the time, and it's become an absolute cancer in college hockey. And it goes both ways. Um, you know, players and, and families, they screw the colleges just as much as the colleges screw the players. And it's a really big problem that we see. And I'm sure you've seen it all the time too, Vinny. But at the end of the day, in this conversation that we're talking about, um, exposure, sure, you can get as much as you want. But for all the kids and parents listening, if you don't get any better from 15 to 19, 16 to 19, 17 to 20, the schools ain't going to take you. I'm sorry, they're just not going to do it. There's, there's some that might. But very, it's getting to the point right now where there's very few that are doing it. And, uh, you know, from, from my end, I obviously see that. And I, I talk to a lot of guys in the business, as do you, Vinny. Um, but I just think it's very relevant to what we're talking about right now. I, listen, I go back to if you're a fraud, you're a fraud. I don't mean that disrespectfully towards kids. But if you, if you don't, if you're not a player that's trending, if you're not developing, you're never going to get there. So I think, I think to Jeff's point, the reality is, is that, Honesty for me, honesty and passion are always going to trump anything else. If you outwork everybody as a coach and a director of hockey and you do those things, it's contagious. If, you, if you're honest about the reality of a kid that gets a commitment, we get kids that are committed to come into our program beforehand. You know, and most of those kids I'm involved with and I have a relationship with, I know the process, but some kids you get that come in as blue chip kids that are committed to college, it's like, listen, like, here's the path for you. Like, you need to bear down and get to this path. Like, you're not, you know, there's certain guys that are, committed to college that had a great Bantam season. And it's like, Hey, listen, there's a lot of room between now and then. I think what you're talking about, Tolf is the kids switching college commitments. Like for us, you know, it's, it's almost funny because myself and Mark, when we, when we started to have a lot of kids commit to college, we were very upfront with the families. <laughs> if you don't feel hundred percent comfortable with this, take your time. There's no rush. I don't care if you commit playing for whoever, if you make this commitment, you're going to be in a position where you need to, as a member of our organization, you need to honor this. And as time has progressed, it's gotten so chaotic with coaching changes and guys flipping positions. I think that some of the responsibility needs to be on college hockey as well. 100%. You know, I don't think it's just the, the kids can't just be held accountable for, you know, I don't know how many kids that we've had commit to school and were recruited passionately by an assistant coach. Like I remember when you were recruiting at Cornell, you developed a relationship with these kids where you are submerged in their family. If you take a job somewhere else, and this kid's 16, he's, he's banking all the information on your passion and your, your energy, you really can't hold that kid accountable if he wants to reevaluate his decision. So that's kind of what comes up. I mean, I guess you could shed more light on that part of it, but the, the rotisserie in college hockey, uh, I don't know if it's always going to be you know, the kids and families not being loyal. I think there's a, there's a middle, middle point of that. 
Yeah, I agree. I think the responsibility is on both for sure. And I think the responsibility is, is on, um, it's on everybody. You talk like the families, the coaches, um, the junior coaches, the midget coaches, the, the advisors, the agents, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, you know how it goes, like a little sniff or a little wind of, of somebody changing or something. And then it's like, all hell breaks loose. You know how, like, it's a gossip, <laughs> it's a gossip world, the college hockey world, and word, word gets out very, very quickly to a lot of different people because there's so many people that are in these kids' business now. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's the responsibility of everybody, and it's a moral, ethical obligation, and, and nobody's perfect, obviously. People make mistakes, but at the end of the day, um, just your, your word has to mean so much, and I, I think it's really, really important that guys like yourself, the midget coaches, the junior coaches, they have to be, hey, you're making a commitment. You're making a freaking commitment here. And you know what? If there's a, a college that has committed one of our guys that they go back on that commitment because they don't think he's good enough anymore, well, you know what? I'm going to tell all the other guys and all the kids that I coach now that you can't trust that person. <laughs> you can't. You just can't trust them. And I just, it's got to come you from everywhere. You got a dog. You got a responsibility. <laughs> you go home you get out there and you find that dog <laughs> oh man but do you see a lot of that at, at your level because you you've moved a lot of guys on you still have relationships with uh, a lot of players that are playing college hockey now um you know you're getting to talk to a lot of colleges that uh are recruiting your kids what is your thought what is your perspective on what your role is in the process and and where you kind of see it right now in terms of the college recruiting process well, obviously, with the rule change, I think it's you know it's it's trending in a direction that's unknown. You know, with the with the junior commitments in August, but for the last couple of years, and when you were involved with it, I think you know it's it's I kind of see it as a process that you know it worked to a certain extent in terms of you know at the end of the day, if people want to recruit young kids, kind of what we just spoke about, you need to be responsible for you know seeing that through. I think that was one of the issues that I saw when it was, you know, committing to a 15 year old kid. So many of these kids, like you said, they think they've already made it. And then once their game goes south a little bit, there was, you know, there was a lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes where you, you know, I don't know per se if the, you know, the colleges were, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to context this in a, in a negative way, but I do think that there was a, an ornament amount of over recruiting in the college team. Um, you know, and I think, listen, at the end of the day with major junior and with how good the American kids are now and how many kids are, you know, getting drafted and going on and doing these things, I do think that there is a, a certain amount of leisure and a certain amount of rope that you have to give to schools. Like you can't just look at a list on online and say, Oh, they have this many amount of kids committed. Like you don't know what year they're coming in. You don't know what the, the balance of the scholarships are. You don't know any of that information as an outside person. But I do think that the young recruiting did create a little bit of over recruiting and our jobs as, you know, youth coaches that were involved with these kids is to, you know, to give these kids those tidbits of information on making a decision. Um, and you know, it's, it's more or less, I like to give substance. Like if a, if a coach loves a kid, they're going to look at their skill set. They're going to look what they do on the rank. You know, I'm the guy that loves to say, Hey, listen, like this kid's tremendous. Like I love when guys that are unbelievable kids that have done everything we've asked them to do, you know, you can tell that they're going to be good people in the community. They're going to have great, you know, impacts in the universities they're going to. That's the process I think that we play a big part in. And we're honest. You know, we're not just honest to our kids. I'm honest to coaches. Like, if a kid's a bad kid, um, you know, I don't think any kid's a bad kid. But if he has tendencies of not doing the right thing and he's not responsible and he's a kid that will 
possibly in the future do something negative to university, I'm honest. And I tell my kids that. You know, the, the, the best quote I've ever had is our strength and conditioning coach, um, David Arduin, he said, you need to be in a position of life where people want to trust you. You, you need to be responsible. Responsibilities are everything for you. And he t- tells our kids that all the time. And I think it's our responsibility to be honest with them because you become friends. A lot of these guys are my close friends. You know, if I know you through Cornell, you yeah. know, because you were recruiting and, and you, were a, you were a great person. Like, you, were, you cared about the kids. You were invested in the kids. Like, when you recruited a kid, you wanted to know about the kids. And I think that's the standard. I think for us, you know, it's, we have to be honest with the schools. And if you're not a kid that's going to be responsible – you're not a kid that's going to do the right things and contribute. We have to be honest. You know, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell a school that I think a kid's a bad kid because I don't think any kid's bad. I think there's just, there's flaws. Um, but I'm always going to keep that on the up and up and front. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hide from it. I think that that's a level of consistency that we talk about all the time. Like you need to be a good person every day. So let That's me, standard. yeah, let me ask you this. So you've had quite a few, uh, I mean, we've had quite a few conversations when I was coaching in college and you have those conversations with a lot of different schools too. Um, there's a lot of kids and a lot of parents that listen to this podcast. How invested are college coaches into asking you about a kid's character? How invested are college coaches into, you know, asking you about things other than hockey? And I think it's important. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I thought that was a huge piece of the, of, of the pie was trying to find out what the family was like, what the kids like. But um, that's just me. In, in your position, having talked to a lot of different people, is that something that coaches take a lot of pride in? I, I tell you right now, I think it's the number one thing that's trended in the right direction. I think the last couple of years, the amount of phone calls that I've received in regards to non-hockey things has been unbelievable. And I, and I live for those conversations because that's the opportunity to, to really put yourself in a position where all the things that you do and you put the kids through, you can give an honest assessment. So I love that the conversations the last 24 months – have all been about that. I think it's starting to come to the surface too more and more with, with the way college hockey is. I think that you can't win without that. You know, I think you're seeing teams like a Duluth, you know, like they have tremendous character kids. And I think that's become the, the forefront. You need to have that, you know, and I think that that's the beautiful part of this game is I think it's the greatest sport in the world because I think it develops you as a man. You know, hockey is a sport where you have to be tough, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be caring, you know, and it's your responsibility as an athlete to appreciate, like you spoke about before you, you took the words out of my mouth. You're a healthy 15, 16, 17 year old kid that's parents are willing to pay a lot of money to play the game you love at the highest level. So for me, it's, you know, you, you need to have that recognition point that you're very fortunate. And with that comes the responsibility of giving back and it doesn't have to be, you know, you have to, have to be a good person, you know? Like, we do pay it forward every Thursday on our team. You got to come in, and we do 25 minutes before a video where you go up and you put your pay it forward in the bucket, and we read it. And you'd be amazed from the beginning of the season to the middle of the season to the end of the season how the level raises. So, can, so that's, if you that's can't, before, I want to stop you real quick because I want to know more about the, what is yeah. that pay it forward thing that you guys do? Just pay it forward. It's just we start at the beginning of the season. It's something that I used to do, and I started to utilize it more with the Avalanche the last couple of years. Um, it's basically your duty within that seven-day period is to do something that's completely selfless. 
and the beginning of the season, it's hilarious. You get kids that are like, uh, you know, I took the, I took the garbage out. You know, <laughs> it's a step, step in the right direction. But that's not selfless because that garbage is in your home, you know? So now you're defining what a selfless act is. And then as the season progresses, we had kids that were volunteering for soup kitchens. You know, it's, it's, it becomes something that's ingrained in them. And that's why I think college caring more, not that they did in the past, but it's become more prevalent, caring about the character and the qualities of the, of the kid. I think is huge, huge for the families to understand. The family's got to understand that that plays a huge role. I've seen kids, you know, our captain the first year, Mark Johnstone, if you watch the kid play, nobody was interested in this kid. I mean, he was a, he was a lanky, you know, awkward kid. Didn't have like a lot of polish to his game. Wasn't like an overbearing offensive kid. He's the best human being I've ever been around. And that came to the surface in situations of adversity. And this kid went on from being just a, a regular local kid to the captain of the Chicago Steel, <laughs> win a Clark Cup, was second in playoff scoring, to being uh, all-rookie and all-American his freshman year at Sacred Heart. And I think those kids are starting to become more of the norm. And people are, you know, they're, that's contagious. People want that. People want to have that in their locker room. So for me, it's everything. Like, listen, I want a kid to be able to do – weight shifts, dynamic puck movement, you know, everything. All that, I, that's what I live for, too. But I think at the end of the day, if you're playing for the Avalanche, you're a skilled kid. <laughs> you know, with all the humility in the world, we recruit those players and we develop those players from within. We know you're a good hockey player. But if you can add that element to your life, and that's, that's real and it's not fake, it's huge to, for me to pick up the phone and say, this kid's tremendous. <laughs> he's going to be, he's going to win you practice weeks. He's going to win you hockey games and he's going to contribute to your culture. And I think that that's been one of the great things. That's why I'm so happy with the, with the path now of college hockey, because I think that that's become the standard. And for all the parents and kids that are listening, you know, it's a lot of cliches get thrown around in youth hockey. You know, most of them are true. And to be honest with you, I would love to, what you guys do is shedding light on all this stuff. People are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, if my kids are stud or my, my, the kid's last name is an NHL alum. Yeah, there's some stuff to that too. But at the end of the day, if you're a good person, you're gonna, your stock's going to go up. Your value's going to go through the roof. Because the people like you that they call, the guys on Jeff's U16 team, the guys on your U16 team that you worked with, the guys on my U16 team, we've developed credibility and respect amongst the people that are making decisions. And if you believe in a kid and that kid's a good person, that's going to that's gonna give you a notch over other people. Well, let me let me tell you this, Vinny. <clears throat> Tove, how many podcasts have we had now? 60 or something? We're 70? Getting, getting close to 60, yeah. All right, so we're almost at 60 podcasts, and that pay it forward once a week thing is literally probably the coolest thing I've heard out of all 60. Yeah. From the NHLers we've had, KHLers, Mike Boyle, all the stuff we've had on here. At the end of the day, and I, and I hate that everyone says that all the time, but I'm going to say it anyways. At the end of the day, <laughs> we're – Adults helping guide children to be better humans and better hockey players and to be a better hockey player. It's like you said, make them a better human as well and, and place an emphasis on that because most of them aren't going to make it, uh, you know, but that pay it forward thing. I mean, I'm a hundred percent want to use that this year. That's one of the coolest things I have ever heard. And I love how you said, you know, you see it evolve. You see it as, well, you know, I helped uh, my mom cross the street. All right, bro, that's your mom. You know, I mean, that, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome that you did that. You're being a good son. 
but you know, as the weeks go on, you'll see, you know, guys, you know, and then it probably becomes a competition. Well, yeah. I want to be even less selfless and, and I want to do something great. And, you know, I just don't want to take out the garbage, as you said, uh, I believe you forgot the R in that word, but, um, <laughs> you know, like you're making them better people. And that's one of the coolest things that I have learned on this podcast. So I really appreciate you sharing that with everyone. Yeah, dude, that's, that's, no, I, I agree. I, I'm going to echo what Jeff said. That's, uh, I, I think you're going to change a lot of, I think a lot of people are going to add that to their repertoire. All the coaches yeah. like I am. Uh, I am. But one, one of the other things that you said that I thought was really interesting too, I wanted to kind of prod you on it and ask you was you, you said, win the practice week. So yeah. is there, is there something that you meant by that? What, what, what did you mean by that? I think it's, I think it's full circle with what Jeff was saying before. It's just the, the emphasis at youth hockey on games and exposure is like, it's a, it's an elephant in the room. And I think that when you don't have positive work, these kids habits aren't good enough to get to the next level. Like with us in Chicago, like what they do there on a day in day out basis, like that, that's pro. Like you were at the rink at 9am you have a full day. That's four days a week with, with a game day skate and a video session on Friday, whether you're traveling or not. Like, if you're not preparing your kids to win the week, like, you have to win the week. And I guess to expand upon that is that, like, there needs to be progress. Like, uh, one, of the, one of my closest friends and one of the best guys in the game, in my opinion, Dan Muse, like, I learned so much from him from that perspective. Like, purposeful practice, the growth of a week, you know, it just – those things to me, if you can get, and it's hard, listen, you, you guys know, you're not going to get that bite from a 15, 16 year old right away, but subliminally, you know, I used to always laugh when like people used to talk about like, you know, hiding the bag skates. Like my biggest thing is hiding the development sometimes, you know, like the stuff that we do in Chicago with Daryl Belfry, the reason why I believe he's the, the best at what he does is because his progressions of skill throughout a week and his ability to do things without telling you like monkey see monkey do is one of the worst things in hockey for me. I don't want to tell a kid exactly what to do, especially when it pertains to skills and IQ playing away from the puck, the ability to move, you know, your, your, your thought process, that stuff is winning the week where you sit as a staff on a Thursday night and your goals were accomplished and the kids kind of walked away with doing something without knowing they're doing it because listen, we're, we're, we're old men, you know, we love this. We wouldn't be doing it if we didn't. So we get it. We love it, but they have to, you know, so winning the week for me is not having practices that had zero purpose and zero growth. And I think that kids that have that type of character, you know, that we spoke about before, those guys win the week for you, you know, because if you want to talk about getting outside your comfort zone and all these buzzwords that everybody uses in skills and, and development, you don't do that without those kids. You know, you don't get through a weekend where, you know, we'll come off a weekend as we beat the number one team in the country and the rankings are coming out. That Tuesday practice is like you're entitled to, you know, you're the best. Well, you need kids that have that type of DNA to push the tempo on, on a Tuesday skills practice. Well, you're working on something that's going to help this kid for the next 15 years. You know, if you're working on the ability to shoot the puck with your feet moving and angle changes and all that stuff, like that's a huge skill. And the guys that win the week, in my opinion, are the guys that go very far. Um, well, let me ask you guys this question. I'll pose it to Toe and then go to you, Vinny. Um, so you're talking, I love everything you're saying, Vinny. I mean, I, I hope that in the future, you know, St. Louis come out to New Jersey and you guys come, come to St. Louis so I can keep learning from you and vice versa. Uh, 
to ask you guys this question because it's something I've always thought about, especially in the youth game is you're talking about development and kids doing it themselves and getting better and building on things. How do you guys feel about coaches that yell the whole game, what the players should be doing on the ice? Night. You know, if you played against those guys, like back check, you, you need to get to the middle, get to the middle, get in the lane, get in the lane. Like a coach yelling the whole time. Like, okay, buddy, you don't have a remote control. Like let them <laughs> learn. And when they come back, maybe tell them what to do. But like, if you're always telling the kid what to do, they're listening for that and they don't have to think about it themselves. I don't know. That's my personal philosophy. What, what are your guys thoughts on that? Tov? I mean, for, I don't have to elaborate much. I'm just not a fan. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, me neither. I, I mean, I would guess I'm your answers, but you know, I mean, Vinny gets to work well, with here, super- I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll kind of echo what, uh, what Vinny was saying when he talked about win the week. So, um, Reed Cashman, who Vinny, I'm sure, you know, but, uh, Cash was an assistant Great coach. Guy. He's Cash. the best. He's, he's unreal. And, uh, he, he, we were talking about development and stuff when he was at Quinnipiac, I was at Cornell and, um, you know, I, I kind of asked him about their philosophy on just kind of like what we're talking about. And he says, I get paid for what I do uh, from Monday to Thursday, right? So my job as a coach is to provide these guys with the habits and the skills necessary so they can go out on Friday and Saturday and just play mind-free whatever they want to do. And I thought it was the, one of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten because it's so true. As a, as a coach, what we do when in the week, um, Monday to Thursday, allows the kids to – do what they do the best and that's go and have fun and play hockey and not have to worry about thinking about it so much. They just go out and they do it. They're on autopilot. Um, and cash, obviously an unbelievable coach. He's assistant coach of the Washington capitals. Now, um, it was just really profound and so simple and like that's duh, but at the same time it, it needs to be reiterated, I think. Um, so, um, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of just letting the kids do their thing Friday, Saturday, making adjustments when you need to. But, um, yeah, the whole remote control coach, not a huge fan. Vinny, I'll let you go. I'll let you go now. No, I think you guys are dead on. I think, I think at the youth level, there's a little bit more of a, you know, give there. Um, and the only reason I say that is that if you're a coach, like if you're a coach that's having constant conversations with kids, like if you're a guy that is trying to keep that verbalization while they're on the rink onto the bench, I'm not – going to kill you um you know i come from with complete transparency when a queen's brooklyn kid coaching junior hockey in brooklyn like we were we were vocal you know and then as you get into the game more and more cash obviously it, it that's an unbelievable perspective like i basically what we just spoke about like the week is where you put your work in like i feel you know where your team's at going into a weekend based on what you did during the week um i'm not a huge yeller um but I'm not like a mute. Um, I do think that there are certain trigger words and buzzwords, especially with the way I work with, with the video stuff and, and feeding back into Belfry stuff. Like the wins and losses for me at 16 are not. And again, for my boys that are listening, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. We talk about it all the time. The wins and losses thing is a, is a big conversation. A lot of people talk about, we're not a win at all cost program, but we're very big on learning how to win the competitive nature of who you are and, and wanting to, to win everything. Um, when you talk about taking the top of the ozone and told what you do with the video, we do all that. So if, when it comes to, you know, we had a kid this year, Jeremy Wilmer, who was extremely talented, a uh, special player off the chart IQ, you know, one of the top Americans in the country. And, you know, we had Belfry come in and, and do some stuff with him. And he's like, listen, you need to play in the top of the ozone. 
Like, you're great here, but you're too small to succeed at the next level if you don't start owning the upper elbows and the high three-on-twos and you're getting up and using the whole entire real estate of the Ozone. The great thing about that is the next five or six games, you know what's going to happen. He's going to be coming up high off the elbow with, you know, a deep cushion and a, and a, and a strong side wing kicking into him. He's going to give up bunnies the other way. I didn't care, and we don't care. You know, so from a perspective of that, there's times where I'm communicating with Jeremy and guys like that about high, high-end pinnacle trigger points in the ozone and stuff like that. That stuff I have no issue with. So I think you're doing that. But I agree with you guys. You know, there is a certain component of monkey see, monkey do when you start basically verbalizing the whole game for the kids. You know, and I also think it goes back to the original point. <laughs> if you have coaches that are adopting the cerebral approach of, you know, letting the kids play and, and speaking to them in between shifts and in between periods. And now we have nobody banging on the boards because of the USA hockey rules. Like the game's going to be pretty boring. So we might have to kick up, we might have to kick it up the other way. So Jeff, you may have to start balking a little bit. <laughs> start whacking and slacking. But no, I mean, I, I don't want to put clarity to that. Like when you start talking about individual skill stuff that's going on, because practice to game transfer is so important. That's one of the things that, as a young coach, I never did. You know, you, you were passionate. I used to go watch pro practices, junior practices. I used to be at festivals at 8 in the morning, sucking all that up. It's great if you have great practices. But if you're talking about skill development and, you know, what the Belfry component of it is, is you have to put that on tape. Like, that's another big thing. Like, put that on tape. If you're working on things that are tangible, you got to put that on tape. So, in games, there's times where, yeah, I'm very vocal when it comes to stuff like that, when we demand things out of kids, like we do individual meetings every three to four weeks. And there's a standard <laughs> where you're at, where's your progression. What are the things that need to change? And when you look at that, they got to get that into the game. You know, you can't work on a task, you know, for three to three weeks. And then there's no, there's nothing tangible re- reflecting in the game. And you got to be willing to lose hockey games at that point. And that's something that I think has set the avalanche back at the 16 level from probably winning it all. And some of that, probably 100% of that's on my shoulders. But at the end of the day, if you really want to see like high-end development and fun stuff that I love, you got to be willing to let these kids do stuff that's probably not going to win you a hockey game. And that's times where I'm verbalizing stuff. So I wanted to be clear, like, I don't believe in screaming and yelling, but I do believe that there's a healthy dose of hitting trigger words if you're really detailed with your individual players. So that's kind of, you know, it's a little bit all over the place, but I wanted to make sure I gave you a perspective on how I feel about that. But, yeah, hopefully Jeff will be, you know, screaming and yelling all year. <laughs> well, it's funny you, you talk about the practice and game transfer because I feel like that's almost like a buzzword that's being used at the, at the higher levels of hockey development right now. Um, whereas I feel like maybe five years ago, and I'm probably a little bit, I used to be a little bit more like this was the pace, you know, pace was talked about all the time in practice and all that kind of stuff. Like don't go to the board, you know, not a lot of teaching, like let's just do things fast and fast and fast. And I feel like that that's changed a lot over the past, you know, maybe couple of years where, um, I feel like coaches a lot more are slowing things down now. They're teaching a little bit more. They're, they're talking about how drills are relevant in practice to what's going to happen in the game. And, and the higher level coaches are talking a lot about practice to game transfer. So if you can kind of elaborate a little bit more on what that is and what you guys maybe do during practice that you want to translate into games. Yeah. So I think it's like uh, it's almost when you interview guys, like, you know, you've 
all of us have interviewed before, and everyone's like, what type of style do you play? It's, we want to play fast. Like, well, what is that? You know, we want to play a pace. What is that? I think what it's, when you really, when it boils down to is you can practice fast. You can, your tempo can be through the roof. I think that we probably utilize that as one of our biggest recruiting tools. And we have guys come watch practices and we, we tape our practices and we do those things. If you're prepared, if your preparation for the detail is there, I think you can practice very fast. But I do think that the most important ingredient is demanding that your kids translate that onto the game tape. Because if they're not doing that, then it's just a lot of people moving at a, at a, at a high rate. You know, so for me, with our kids, the individual video sessions are the alpha and the omega with us. You know? And it doesn't got to be you're, you're doing video every single day and you know, you're pounding these kids into a point where it becomes a chore. But they get excited. You got guys that are working on real high-end skill stuff like their weight shifts and their ability to change the angle and their ability to you know, catch pucks in their crossover, their ability to be elusive below the goal line. Like, when you start working on that stuff, they love. And even with our D, you know, we, we have – I referred to Dan Casano before, our, our D coach. <laughs> he does retrievals with our D every week. And that becomes fun because now the technique of being able to shoulder check, being elusive with your, you know, your fakes or your stick in your head, the ability to use your, your knee bend to get out of traffic, all those components, you know, a retrieval sucks. You're going back on a puck. You're 200 feet away from doing anything that's worth celebrating. And you got guys bearing down on you that want to hit you. You know, they want to whack you and hit you. And, you know, when you start detailing that stuff, kids love it. You know, like we celebrate that stuff. Like when we do team sessions, we do a lot of team video as well. It's all highlighting that. Every kid should have a clip that was a progressive development clip. You know, and sometimes they don't even notice it. And it goes back to the kind of subliminally the way you train these kids and the skill stuff you do, you don't always got to tell them, you know, Hey, this is the objective. It's, it's just, you want that to become like breathing. So the most rewarding thing for me is when you do, when you see the game transfer, when you see a kid work on whether it's a, you know, an isolated thing or an organic thing where it's a, t- a team holistic thing, there's a style of play thing. I think that's kind of one of the most rewarding things as a coach, you know, and what you do with, seeing the breakdowns, like even some of the, the, the style of play stuff. You know, if you talk about getting speed behind the puck and you get a guy that for years has been coached to stay on the rails and, you know, get his feet moving up the wall, and then you see this guy in a neutral zone regroup, like come behind a D, you know, it's, it's, it's rewarding. It doesn't always have to be like he pulls it like Matthews, you know, two feet and goes inside elbow. Those are great. You know, the boys go nuts for those, and that's, that's rewarding too. But I think there's a lot of – IQ, understanding your situation stuff that also goes into those game transfers. Well, I like, I like that you guys are talking about the, the practice, the translation to games. <clears throat> Cause a big thing for me was, you know, I've talked about on this podcast a lot. Like I didn't, I wasn't able to do whatever I did in hockey because I was like naturally gifted. I practiced every day like it was a game and I practiced the way that I knew things would work in a game. So if it was a shooting drill, I'm shooting in stride. I'm stopping at the net. I'm looking to bury a rebound. And if the puck goes anywhere, I'm sprinting to get it and I'm putting it in the net. Even if the goalie's not looking, cause I just think that was a mental skill that helped me um, with, with burying rebounds and stuff like that. But like an example that, that I, that I'm thinking of when, when we're talking about this is we had a shooting drill last year that we did a couple times where the second guy going would come in and we wanted him to, you know, make a move around the cone or the tire or whatever was out there or the coach. 
do a Gretzky turn, pull up and hit the late guy. So the first couple guys go and they just like make a simple stick handle, uh, a super tight turn where they're like, they didn't evade. They wouldn't have moved away from a, a, a defenseman. And then they'd make a pass, you know, like no shoulder check, anything. And after they did it a couple of times, I lost my mind, like almost snapped my stick over my knee because it was like the third time we'd done the drill. And I'd been like, boys, I don't come here and talk for no reason. What I'm telling you to do in practice will work in a game. And I was like, I showed him. I'm like, look, if you fake a shot as in front of a D man, what's he doing? He's going to try and block it. He's going to set his feet. He's going to close up. Now what happens? Now you pull up, you move your feet on that escape, and now you create more time and space for yourself as you're shoulder checking, finding your guy, easier to make that pass over to your late guy. So after I snapped, they all start doing it right. Literally two days later in, a, in our, I think it was like our state championship game, we have a D-man come in actually fake the slap shot d-man bites he pulls up goes back door to a guy wide open net and scores and i was like that is why you practice in a way that it's going to translate to a game if you just go up and you're just like oh i'm just playing to the drill there's nobody on me there's no d-man in front of me i don't need to pretend that there's a guy there to back him up then skate away from this pretend guy to create time and space where now i have more options and time to make a play they were just doing it where they would, you know, it was just like, oh, I'm just doing the drill to do the drill. No, that's not going to translate to a game. Pretend it's a game and you do something that's going to work in a game. So I love you said that. And that's everything I'm about. Well, I love that we're talking about practice too, because coming from a college You're talking coach, about practice? Practice, man. We're talking about practice. Um, coming from a college coach's perspective, like we didn't always get to do it because of a whole host of different reasons, you know, time, or we had to make a decision on a kid quick or whatever it was. But you like, as a college coach, a lot of times you really want to watch a kid practice before you make a decision on him Cause you want to see how hard he's working. Because again, you're not going to get the same kid at 15, 16, 17 as when he graduates at 24, 23, you want to know that that kid is going to get better and he works hard in practice. And at the same time, Vinny, you mentioned a little bit earlier before, um, that's why I hate the tryout rule and where it is, where you can um, have your tryouts, whatever it is, a day or two days after. Because I feel like if I'm a parent, I want to go watch a coach run a practice. And that's a, how I'm going to base my decision based on if my, I want my kid to play for that team or not. Because at the end of the day, it is about development. If your kid has a, a hope and a dream and a goal to play at the highest of levels, he's going to have to get better. And that's not going to happen unless the coach is having great practices. So um, I, I almost think it should be a requirement that you should at least give it a week or two. Um, I would I would love it for it to be even longer than that, a lot longer than that for the tryout rule. But if you want to change teams or you're looking for the, the best place for your kid to play, um, go to the go to the best coach, the guy that runs the best or the guy or the girl that runs the best practices because that's what's going to make your kid better. Yeah, I think what you said about, you know, what Jeff said, like what you guys are doing with the with this podcast, like I'd love to see this grow because my biggest, you know, I guess the, the most disappointment I have with you talking is you have no time. You know, you're so busy. And I always say it's like, but, you know, by the time you pick your head up, everything's just, it's, it's so chaotic. Like this podcast, like I would love, to see people, you know, you guys and other people take the, take the flag and keep pushing it down the line of doing stuff like that, like sharing, you know, like getting into a situation where Jeff's talking about, you know, 
the ability to, to, to be detailed enough to stop a practice. You're doing a drill. Yeah, it's a great drill. Somebody can watch it and say, wow, that was a great drill. But if the detail is not there, you know, we, I'm guilty of this all the time. And that's why you need to have very good people around you and your staff to stop a drill and say, hey, we can all clap our hands and think that we're doing a great job, but we didn't shoulder check. You're not going to, you're going to play a team that's detailed and they're not going to give you the things that you have here. Like you're going to have to implement the game type mentality. And if the coaches don't hold them accountable to that, you know, you're just basically cheating it. And I say it all the time, cheating will catch up to you every single time. You have to practice with the, with the detail that's going to translate. And I think that that's, that's one of the things like I wish there was more sharing because there's so many smart people in hockey that people don't even know people that didn't play at a high level guys that did play at a high level that you'll never get to pick their brain, hear their perspective. You know, and I think that right now hockey's at a state where everybody's like loves this component of it. And I think that the progression of this is huge because young coaches are going to fuel the kids, you know? So even with us, like we recruit our coaches, we go out and try to find guys that are open-minded, you know, very humble, and they're not afraid to speak because there's a lot of brilliance in, in, in people and you just got to get it out of them. Like what you're talking about, Jeff's point was unbelievable. Like if you, if you get that gratification, you know, I'll never stop coaching. I get a kid that does something that we stopped and we were detailed with in the film room or on the ice. That's, that's tremendous. And that's everything, you know? So I love this conversation. Like, this is me. This is what I want to do every day. You know, I want to hear from people, hear from people that are saying, Hey, listen, we were doing, we were doing a regroup drill into a stretch, you know, whatever the dynamics of the play was. And we're, we're literally stopping it and giving these kids situational awareness. Like people talk about not teaching IQ. I'm the biggest believer in teaching IQ. I am. Like, I know it's a, it's a situation where people will argue all day that you are what you are in terms of your brain capacity. I'm a big believer in learning capability. If a kid can learn, he can become a very smart hockey player. And I believe that. So that's kind of what we base our video and our practices over. You know, some of it's not clear cut. You know, we're not always going to say you need to do this in this situation, but it's putting them in that situation without them knowing. It's putting them in, it's stacking drills that aren't consistently going to be repetitious to that, to that flow. And I think that, you know, and, and going back to the steel stuff, you know, I'm fortunate enough for the last five, six years to have had guys like Dan Hughes, you know, Mark Avalon, Ryan Crothers, you know, Greg Moore, who's, you know, Greg Moore is one of the, the most intellectually smart coaches I've ever been around. Like these guys are, they're giving me their insight. And I live for that stuff. And I think they are, this the same train of thought is you have to challenge these kids. And when you challenge them, you don't want to be a robot. You don't want to give them the, the, the exact path to get to the, to the final route. And I think that, you know, this, these podcasts and these things are, are tremendous for that because young coaches, they want to learn. If you're in youth hockey, I think I've said it like three or four times, not to be repetitive. If you're giving up your time, and a lot of people don't make anywhere near full-time money to do this stuff, you care. So if you care, the more information and details you can help these people with, like, you know, that's going to be, that's going to, that's going to grow everything. That's going to make programs better. It's going to make the younger kids develop quicker. And I think it's, I think it's everything. I think practices and the teaching component of the game is everything for what we're talking about. Absolutely, man. Well, that's why we started 
um, the, even the hockey think tank in general with the website and everything is we just, you know, we wanted to connect really, really passionate hockey people together. And, uh, this podcast is a piece of it and it's been, uh, it's been a ton of fun and you talk about educating people who are listening to it. I think Jeff and I, we kind of look at each other after every podcast and we're kind of like, wow, we learned a ton there too. And, uh, that's, that's the beauty of it. And I agree with you. I think more people should share what they're doing. Um, I actually do think social media is good in that way. You have the medium to be able to share what you're doing. <laughs> if you're looking at that stuff, might be mindful of what you're looking at. But <laughs> as Jeff, you say it, don't just look at Kim Kardashian's <laughs> butt, right? Um, but it's... Uh, well, I, I probably look at that a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> like, like 98 two. <laughs> But uh, no, we appreciate you coming on, Vinny. This was great stuff. I think. Yeah, and listen, uh, just just to just to kind of like put put a bow on it, and like you know, from a from a from a kid who's you know very passionate and a New York kid, like I think that you guys had Hardy on the show. You know, obviously, you know, Tolfi and you know Ryan a long time, and I think that getting back to like the core of all these questions and, and the conversation is like I'm a big believer in the youth model, and for everybody that's involved with it, it's managing your time. I think when you listen to to Ryan's podcast about Chicago, um, which was obviously a phenomenal you know podcast, eloquent guy, you know, very very bright guy. I think the couple of things that he said that was you know lateral to this is the what they do in Chicago, people that they bring in, and I think that when you bring in people that are similar in thought and they're progressive and they care and they have you know the, the desire to be detailed. Um, and to do the things that we've spoken about over the last hour, you create something that can become the standard, you know? And I think what, what Ryan's done in Chicago, you know, with bringing in a skills coach and a staff of guys that are ridiculously qualified to coach that team has really become the standard for me. Like I chase that. So I chase that with not the same amount of resources and not the same amount of time. But I always say to guys, like when we're meeting about like what we can and can't do, I always say, why not? Why can't we do this? Like, you got to be creative. Like, we can't do this with the kids for whatever reason because of time restrictions. Like, well, let's find time. Let's find step for all youth coaches and youth teams. Just figure it out. You talk about school, figure a way out to give your guys off. Figure a way out to give them enough time but make it up in another, another place. You know, so for me – I think the standard of all this and this whole conversation is if you love it and you love the kids, you just, you have to be able to, to be creative. You have to be able to be progressive and you got to be willing to put the work in. So, you know, that's pretty much, you know, what, what I feel about kind of the whole 360 view of this conversation is you guys are passionate. You love it. If you're passionate and you love it, like, let's go, like get after it, you know, get after doing the things you want to do with these kids. And it's the best, it's the most rewarding thing in the world. We wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't. You bet, man. You bet. Kids are the future. Pay it forward. forward. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Well, thanks for taking the time to sit down and talk with us here today, Vinny. A lot of great stuff here and uh, appreciate the work that you're doing with uh, all those youth players out in the New Jersey area. So uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you at some point pretty soon, but have a great uh, rest of the summer and we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks, boys. I appreciate it. Hey, Jeff, by the way, I saw you played in Italy a little bit, so you know, I, I would uh, ease off the, the New York bias. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, I, was, I was in Italy for a hot minute. Yeah, man. I found out my name, means, my name means the old. I was like, oh, <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, I know you're out. What are you out in St. Louis? 
Yeah, St. Louis. Yeah. Well, you know where the real food is, so I mean, after that, yeah. <laughs> Providence, Rhode you Island. That's the answer. <laughs> yeah, you let, you let me know if you want the real pizza, bro. I'll get some of y'all. Sounds good, buddy. Good stuff, boy. All right, so that's all. Peace out, guys.